Let us now read together from our confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. It's on page 528 of your Book of Praise. There we find a summary of God's word as follows. Why is he called God's only begotten Son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. <clears throat> After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 64, stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, why did I just say that? Why did I just address you as beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you ever think about that? Or do those words just pass right over you? That's understandable, for we hear them twice each Sunday, and we're usually still busy at the start of a sermon getting ourselves and our children settled. But do you really, do you realize the wonderful significance of these words? For you may think that that is just a tradition with us, and that's true, it is. But it is a tradition that is deeply founded on the message that God wants to bring to all of us. And that's how he wants us to understand our relationship with him. We are his beloved. The wonderful message of salvation is that we are the beloved of the Lord. And that is not something that we should just take for granted. It is highly significant. This was brought home to me the other day when I spoke to a sister in the Lord who a few years ago became a member of one of our sister churches. She had listened to one of our church services on the internet and that piqued her interest. Do you know what the first thing was that struck her? The fact that the minister began with that statement, that he began by calling the congregation the beloved of the Lord, that really blew her away. She thought that was wonderful. She had been to many churches over the years and heard many sermons by many ministers, but she had never heard that before. Sometimes someone from the outside has to point out to us the riches that we have in the Reformed faith. We tend to take it for granted, don't we? You may think that this is kind of patting ourselves on the back and that I make too much of this, 
Well, as we will see this afternoon, we cannot make too much of this. And we are not talking about what we do, but about what God does. And about what we proclaim he does. For everything hinges on this concept about us being the beloved of the Lord. Everything begins and ends with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's also what this Lord's Day deals with. For this Lord's Day deals with the fact that we are children of God because of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not God's children because we are so good. We are not God's children because we are so obedient. We are not God's children because we have more faith than someone else. No, we are God's children because he loves us, period. It is only for that reason that he adopted us. It is all about the love of God for his children. And that is wonderfully significant. I've summarized the message for this afternoon as follows. We are God's beloved children. In the first place, not because of obedience, but in the second place, because of adoption. I'm not sure if you noticed it, but there is a great tension here in this Lord's Day. There are two apparently opposing concepts at work here. In the first place, we are told that we are God's beloved children by adoption. But in the second place, we are also told that he is called our Lord and that he has bought us with his blood. And so he owns us. And the implication is that therefore we are obligated to serve him. And so as children, we are set free, but as his possession, we are indebted to him. In fact, we are free, aren't we? For the fact is that we as his children have an enormous amount of freedom. We are given room to live and to breathe under a wide open sky. The Almighty God has set us free to enjoy all his creation. And yet, we also have to serve him. And so there are certain conditions. Isn't that a contradiction? Those two don't two together, do they? Don't go together, do they? They clash. How can you have freedom on the one hand and on the other hand to be obligated to do certain things? Indeed, that is a tension. And that is a tension that is found not only in the life of a Christian, but in everybody else's life as well. So how do you see that? How do you deal with that? Well, there are many misconceptions concerning this. First of all, there is the misconception that freedom means being able to make out very much for yourself what you can and what you can't do. You determine for yourself what the right way is and what the wrong way is. That's not as much a problem with us as it is with the world. The people of the world believe that freedom means doing whatever you like. The wisdom of the world is that you must trust your heart and your feelings and that you must go your own way. It's only in that way that you find happiness. 
follow your heart. Follow your desires. Thankfully, that's not something we believe. We know better. We know that there is a God in heaven who holds us accountable. And but the difficulty, the tension is still there. The difficulty that we as Christians especially struggle with is that we think obedience is the same as service. That the way you serve the Lord your God is through obedience. For try as we might, we cannot get the idea out of our heads that we have to do something in order to become God's children or to maintain ourselves as God's children. A moment ago we sang from hymn 11. Hear how the Lord on Sinai's mountain addressed the people of his choice. And they in the thunder heard his voice, I am the Lord your God and Savior. He's saying that the Lord says, I am your Lord and Savior. Present tense. That's also what we hear every Sunday morning when we recite the Ten Commandments. That's what we heard this morning. Do you realize what that means? God says this before he comes with the Ten Commandments. In other words, before he gives the ten words of the covenant, he reminds the Israelites, and therefore also you and me, of the relationship that we have with him. That comes first. He is the Lord our God. That is what we have to understand right off the bat. Israel was not the Lord their God because they were such an obedient people. They weren't. When the Lord God gave the ten words of the covenant on Mount Sinai, they had just been delivered from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. But he did not deliver them from Egypt because they were such an obedient people. For as we know from Joshua 24 and other passages in the Bible, the Israelites were actually serving the gods of the Egyptians. They were a disobedient people. You see, God does not make us his children because we are obedient, because we have earned something to deserve such a wonderful relationship. And that's a good thing for we are all disobedient children. If it was out of obedience, then we would have nothing. And yet it is so hard for us to get the idea out of our heads that our relationship with God the Father depends on things we do. That was also the problem with the rich young ruler. He asked the Lord Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And he is proud of the fact that he kept the Ten Commandments of God. He said that he kept those commandments ever since he was a little boy. No, says the Lord Jesus to him, you still haven't understood. It's not about obedience. 
It is not about anything like that. It is understanding where your treasures are and how and through whom you receive those treasures. For you see, brothers and sisters, one thing is for sure. Freedom and obedience do not go together. It is an impossible combination. They clash. And so let's get rid of that misconception. And I'll tell you why. For if that's what you think, then you will also project the wrong idea to others. Then you will set standards which other people cannot attain. That's what the Pharisees did. And they made everybody around them feel guilty. That's not what Christianity is about. When our children or our fellow believers look at us, then we should not provoke them to jealous as to who we are because of our obedience, but because of who God is and who is at work at me, a sinner. When the people of the world look at us as Christian, then they should not think that we of ourselves are of greater moral character than others. That we think that through our obedience, we are better than they, and therefore they have to follow us. And if that's what they think, if that's what they think we project, then it is no wonder when they will ridicule us as Christians, for then they will point fingers and say, look at him. He goes to church every Sunday, but he's not really any better than I am. Who does he think he is? Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus is not concerned about your or my obedience in the first place. Of course, it plays a role. Talk about that in a minute. For not that we don't have to be obedient. Of course we do. We have to keep God's commandments. But that is not the point here. The keeping of God's commandments is only the external side of our lives. If you emphasize obedience without putting it in proper perspective, then you will always have a dual morality. For then it becomes your obedience over against somebody else's obedience. And then you set rules for yourself, and then you think that you yourself, well, I'm doing all right, thank you very much. And other people who do not keep the same rules and as well as you do, you look down on them. As far as you're concerned, they're in error. But when you emphasize obedience in this way, then you're fooling yourself. And then you can be easily criticized of being a hypocrite. For you cannot live according to the standards that you set for yourself. You cannot live in accordance with the standards that God sets either. That is impossible for us. That is the message of the Bible. Those who set the rules by which to live and who make them the standard by which they must be judged, they set themselves up for a fall. And then your religion becomes a burden, not a joy. And then you will find ways of trying to escape the rules. 
And then as soon as you think that nobody is watching, then you ride into sinful activities. And then when you are with people who do not have the same standards that you have claimed for yourself and who do not really know who you claim to be, then suddenly you will feel the freedom to go along with them. Nobody is watching. Young people, the Lord also warns you against death. Don't think it is about keeping the laws. Not in the first place. For if that's what you think, then Christianity becomes a burden. Don't think of being a Christian as something you must do. No, it is something that you are. And there is a world of difference. For you see, we are God's children by adoption. We come to the second point. We have been adopted. And now God has made us his children. We're family. And our relationship within our family does not depend on how obedient we are, but on how much we love one another. And when you love one another, then you also will want to serve one another. And it is only within that context that obedience comes in, because that is also how God loves us. As I said earlier, the Lord God addressed his people as the Lord their God. That is what they are now in the present tense. But that's not all he said. He also said right after that that he delivered them out of the land of slavery. You see, he first reminds them of what he has done. He reminds them of his wonderful act of compassion that he showed to them when he took them from the land of slavery. That, beloved congregation, is what it is all about. Also today, listen to what it says in answer 34. It says there that the Lord Jesus Christ has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins. And also that he has freed us from all the power of the devil. That speaks about our deliverance. The fact that God is our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ is only because of his act of deliverance. Although we belonged to the devil, now we belong to him. That doesn't mean that now we have been traded from one slave master to another, from an evil slave master to a good one. For then we would still not be free. In John 10, he speaks about his, sheeple, uh, his people as his sheep. And he says that he has given his sheep eternal life. He says they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If this was meant only for those who are obedient, then those would be idle words, for then Satan would be able to pick them off one by one. And he would point out to the Father every single sin we have ever committed. And he would have a good time doing it. 
The most significant statement in the passage in John 10 is where the Lord Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When you hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, what do you hear? Do you then not hear the voice of a loving shepherd? Of a shepherd who has saved you from the clutches of Satan? Only when you realize what he has done for you will you know who he is. His voice to you is then like music to your ears. For then you know that it is the voice of a loving shepherd who takes care of you, of a shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep, of a shepherd who will do anything for his sheep because of his great love for them. If you truly know the Lord Jesus, then that is what you hear. And that's what the rich young ruler didn't hear. And that's why all those who think their relationship with God depends on their own obedience, will not hear his voice either. The Pharisees didn't. No man will ever be able to serve the Lord God if their eyes are not open to the great love of the unique Son of God who has taught us to love and to serve. Look at how he did that in the washing of the feet of his disciples. After he humbled himself as a servant and washed all their feet, he says to them, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Do you see how significant that statement is? What would you or I say? Well, you or I would say, Now that I have washed your feet, now you should also wash my feet. But that's not what the Lord Jesus says, is it? He says, no, wash each other's seat, feet. Once again, he is not concerned about himself, but he is concerned about others. That is how you serve. If you see, truly see how the Lord Jesus Christ has made us children of the Father, and then you will also want to follow him in his footsteps. And then you are set free to serve in the way that he serves. And then you're also set free from the slavery to sin. The main thrust about being children of God is not through obedience as such. If that were so, then his reaction to that rich young ruler would have been much different. For then the Lord Jesus would have reacted in anger and told him to get with the program. Tell him to do what he said he was doing. As it is, the Lord Jesus was sad. He was sad because it has to do with relationship. As church, we're also sad when someone goes in the wrong direction. That we don't become angry, but we become disappointed. For we know what it is like to belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want all of those who have had God's promises proclaimed to them also to keep on sharing in that. We want all men to share that. 
Don't think of the Lord our God as a heavy taskmaster. And don't think of him as a cruel judge either who sins, or who sends some people to hell and others to heaven. That's not who he is. How sad the Lord Jesus was when he saw his own people rejecting him and thereby also the Father. At one time he had lamented over Jerusalem and he cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Matthew 23, verse 37. They belonged, but they walked away from him. And so they are without excuse. Brothers and sisters, as we saw this morning and again this afternoon, we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We are part of his family. We are in a relationship of love. Isn't that wonderful? Now that you know that it is so, then will you not also want to serve him and each other? And in this way be obedient, want to keep every single one of God's commandments, every dot and every tittle, because you love him and you love each other. And now we are in a completely different area. It is not obedience in the first place. It is done out of a relationship of love. That is how you serve God. That is how you serve one another. And so, do that. Love God. Love one another. Do that today and tomorrow and the rest of your life. And in so doing, you will also be confirmed as children of God. And there is nothing greater and more wonderful than that. Amen.